Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to season two of the Pop Anime Comics Lounge. Today, I have with me voice actress Susan Silo, who has appeared in various American cartoons as well as anime, as well as in several video games. So, you've been voice acting since you were very young. How did you first discover voice acting? Well, that came later. My voice has always been distinctive. I was a singer when I first started out. I was in the original West Side Story on Broadway when I was just barely a teenager, and working in those big theaters, I had a had to really work the voice and I had a hit rock and roll record when I was 13 called Dear Diary so the voice has always been a big part of my career and then I went into episodic television and then segued into on-camera commercials and people were saying you do the voiceover for your on-camera commercial when they show your hands doing something have you ever thought of doing voiceover just voiceover and I said no I've always been on stage or on camera in front of the camera and they said, well, my agent was very excited about it and said, I think you have another part of a career going there and started to submit me and it just grew. It started with commercials and then segued into the wonderful world of animation and then games and et cetera, et cetera. And did you have any formal training in voice acting before you started auditioning for roles? In the beginning, I really didn't. But then I realized, and I think it's very important because I also coach people, I coach what I call civilians and professional actors is that training for everything is very important. I guess that's the New York girl in me. And yes, I did. When I was doing commercials at that time in that decade, there were a lot of what we call he-she commercials, the male and the female bantering back and forth. And I felt I needed work on that. So I took improv classes from Howard Storm and then Joni Gerber, who was a huge voiceover actress in that day, taught at her home for a bunch of her friend like us and I learned the technique and started to put it to use and a lot of my work was helped by that plus the fact that as far as I was concerned it was OJT on the job training I just fell into the pool and just swam to survive and listened to everybody else who was so fabulous and learned as I went but I do think training is very important I will not discredit any kind of training I encourage everyone because voiceover is good acting it's like the old radio days back in the day when there was a uh, radio and people could actually picture in their minds who the characters were just by their voices. And you know that's true, I'm sure, having listened to a lot of different voice because you're actively interested in this field that you know if it's tall, buxom, blonde. You know if it's a short guy with a mustache. You can hear it. And entering the voice acting world and in particular the animation and cartoon voice acting world, were you a fan of cartoons and animation growing up? I was a a big fan at the time of the Disney work because I thought that the drawing was so beautiful. I thought the cells were just gorgeous and very beautifully done. It was beautiful artwork, you know, Fantasia, Cinderella, Bambi, all those things growing up as a little girl that intrigued me. And then I liked, like everyone else at that time, the Tom and Jerry's, the silly cartoons, Wiley Coyote, all of those things. They were fun, but I really admired good artwork and certainly beautiful beautiful voiceover work at that time, too. That was a part of my growing up when I wasn't working, which I was doing all the time. And how do you feel that singing helped you become a better voice actress? 
It has to do with range. When you really train as a singer, as I did, my father was a fabulous tenor. It ran in the family because both my parents were actors. My mother couldn't sing a note, but my father well made up for that. You get to learn how to use your body for creating different sounds, your chords, your diaphragm. You work very hard. I went to the High School of Performing Arts when I was in New York Specialized High School, and they taught voice and diction there. And then on the outside, I would be taking singing lessons a few times a week plus working. And so the chord get very strong. It's like dancing, which I did too. And it's like anything that you exercise, you get to work better and you have to keep them warm. You have to keep exercising them and utilizing them and finding new ways to discover new sounds, which as you know, a lot of the people in the voiceover world do fantastic sounds. And I eventually went into that area too. But speaking of someone who does unbelievable sounds. I'm sure you're familiar with Frank Welker, who is a darling, darling man, and I've known him since the Hanna-Barbera days, and we've worked together a lot of times, and the man is incredible. As you say, did the singing help the voice? Yes, the singing helped the voice a lot, and also you keep experimenting, and because I was always singing, I was very familiar with my chords, and then there's someone like a Frank Welker who can sing too. I can't speak for Frank, but he's always experimenting, trying to find out a new sound and imitating sounds that you hear. I always make fun of, and I'm being made fun of all of our voiceover people. Whenever we go anywhere and we hear a sound, all of us immediately start imitating it. Just for the heck of it, because that's what we do. And that's how all of the good creative vocals happen. And now, what was your first voice acting role? It's either Yes, Virginia, There is a Santa Claus, which they run every Christmas for umpty ump years, or two in the Pac-Man series at Hanna-Barbera. Either one of those, I think, was my first animation. It's hard sometimes, Andrew, to remember all of your voice work simply because you're not in costume and hair and makeup. When I did all those shows on episodic television, I can remember those better because I was in front of the camera, but when you do so many voiceovers and so many different shows, sometimes we did four and five in a day, it's really hard to remember. It's really hard to remember. And now speaking about Pac-Man and that error when you were voice act, how did you go about auditioning for a voiceover role? Well, and by the way, may he rest in peace, Marty Ingalls was Packy, was uh, Pac-Man. And Marty and I had worked when I was a teenager. I did a pilot for Ann Southern called Always April. So we had known each other for a lot of years. And to answer your question about how did you audition for this? Well, I always had an agent and or a manager. And my agent submitted me to Hanna-Barbera. And what you do, and Bill, what you do, is that you either go to the studio and they give you a script with your character's lines and you give them the audition. You create whatever character it is. And then with all the other submissions from other actors, they pick the one that they feel is the best. And that's what happened. I auditioned. I believe I went to Hanna-Barbera physically, not auditioning from my agent, which we then used to do. And also now we do it by computer at home in our bunny slippers. But that's how I was submitted. And they picked me. And now another one of your roles that you're known for is in Pride of X-Men as the White Queen. How did this come about? The same way. There really isn't much magic in that part. You audition once again, they give you the script of the character, and then I don't remember where we auditioned it. This might have been at my agent's office studio, and then they send it over to the producer.
answers and they make up their minds. Unfortunately, what happened with that was that was the time when Canada was taking away our stuff. They were giving a good deal to the companies and we lost some shows to the Canadian production studios because they were giving them a better deal and we, as American actors, cannot work in Canada the way the Canadians can work here. So there's a bunch of politics sometimes that goes on with stuff, but one must persevere and go forward and say, whatever. And when recording this voice, did you know how big it would become? That's a very good question. You really don't. You just do your job and you think you're doing a good job and you like the show and you like the people you're working with. You just never know because as an example, I don't know if you're familiar, but I was in the original Batman series. I was Frank Gorshin, the Riddler's girlfriend, Mousy, And we were doing the show and thinking, this is great. This is so different and campy and the colors were beautiful and it was kind of combining some animation with live action, which was new. And we had no idea what an impact that would make on the audience. And today there are backventions, which I attend, and the fans are just crazy for us. They don't care. We're getting older and that's, the series is not on anymore. But of course, the Batman movies are being done. But the Batman just became amazing. And they love the old TV show and they tell their kids and their grandkids about it. So, no, you just never know when it's going to be such a hit. And are we grateful when it is? And to speak about another franchise that you worked on, which is James Bond Jr. Yeah. As the character Phoebe Fargot, Miss Fortune, and Pirate Parrot. How did you audition for each of these roles? Were they all combined? Phoebe, Phoebe Farragut, was the first character. And I auditioned for that and won that. And then what happens sometimes, Andrew, is that you are working the show and they know, the producers, the director, and the writers, that your talent doesn't lie in just one voice, necessarily, that you are multi-voice and they look at their cast and you're already on the show and it makes it much more expedient for them to use the actors that are already working the show to do other characters. And that's how Ms. Fortune came about because they said, hey, Susan, this is easy peasy for you. Let's have a Ms. Fortune. And so I created Ms. Fortune and there we go. So basically, I didn't have to audition. I was already there. And how do you feel that throughout this entire series, your voice changed? with these characters that's called acting what i say is the character comes first and the voice will follow in other words i'm an on stage and on camera actor and when i'm on stage or on camera obviously i'm in costume and makeup and whatever hair and i assume that character but it's built with all that body language and that carriage and the costume and the feeling and all of that brings me to the voice and the voice just comes out because Phoebe is a little teenage girl so she'd be wearing sneakers and jeans and a little t-shirt and she wouldn't be in full makeup of course not maybe a little lip gloss so I then dress myself in my head and a lot of the times I will even come to the studio in what I call costume in other words if I'm going to play a teenager I'm not going to go to the studio in stiletto heels because when you're wearing stiletto heels and a tight skirt you act different than when you're wearing jeans and sneakers. So that's how voices come about, at least for me. And I feel a lot of the voice people just dress their character in their head. And as I said, it's called good acting. 
And while working on this show, you also worked on Zazu Yu, Where's Waldo, and Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. How did you balance your time between all these projects? It wasn't easy. I'll tell you. What I did was, and I'll just give you another aside too, was that we would have little reference tapes of the characters that we did. Because don't forget, you're going from studio to studio. As you said, it's balancing a lot of your time. So we'd put the ref tapes on in the car and listen to the character before. At least that's what I would do. And when we got to the studio, we were all prepared with that character for that particular show. And most of the time, too, the people are very kind in the production company to have saved your reference tape, which is usually the audition tape. And they'll play it for you just to remind you where you place that character vocally. That's a big help. But I overdo everything. I like to do a lot of homework. So I feel really secure and confident and I don't waste their time. And I've been very blessed to have been told that Count on Zylo, she does her homework. After these roles ended, uh, you had the opportunity to appear as a guest voice actor on Tom and Jerry. And as a fan, what did that mean to you? Well, always, if there's anything that is historical in the business, it's a sense of, oh my gosh, I grew up with that and now I'm a part of that. Like the Jetsons and stuff like that. The stuff that just is amazing that from the old days, people still loved and wanted to hear it being done again. They're doing a lot of retro stuff and to be cast in it is very exciting and it really feels very good to be a part of that history, a continuing part of that history. And you also were part of Once Upon a Forest and Bonkers. What were these experiences like being that one was a movie and the other was a show? For us, because we don't see the film when we're recording, you know that the voices come first and then the drawings come after. Unless we're looping, which means we do see the film, but they have to make vocal corrections. So that's the only time we get to see the film. We go, oh my God, that's what I did. The difference is there's always, for me, from the old days, a sense of doing a film is so important and the big screen and all of that. But I never put down the television work, so I wouldn't say that there's any real big difference, but it really feels good to be part of a big screen production. I can tell you a little aside note about that, of being on the big screen as opposed to doing a television show. I don't know if you're familiar with the Anthony Hopkins movie, The Right. I got to audition for the young Italian pregnant woman who is possessed. She has a devil in her and needs to be exorcised like the exorcist. And Anthony Hopkins is the priest in Italy who is supposed to exorcise this demon from her. Anyway, I auditioned and got the role. This is a big Anthony Hopkins movie. And I did the role and worked very, very hard. A wonderful director on it and worked with me closely. And we did it. And I didn't have an opportunity to go to the screening. I was working at the time. And so I took myself to a theater while I was working another show and at lunchtime I went in to see The Right and it was amazing to hear myself in this pregnant woman coming out of her mouth all of this crazy stuff in Latin, Italian and English of course and she's just scaring the pants off the audience then Anthony Hopkins which I did not know because I didn't see the real says after he is with this crazy person and going through an exorcism comes out of 
the hospital room where she was staying and turns to the other priest and says, did you hear that voice? It's not even human. I'm laughing. I got such a kick out of that. So when you see stuff like that on the big screen, that's like, wow, that's a big deal. And then to see your credit on the big screen is a big deal, too. I think they run them a little slower on the big screen than they do on television. And now let's talk about another one of your big roles, Dr. Carbuncle from Biker Mice from Mars. Oh, I loved him. He's one of my favorites. Ian Ziering was on that show. We even had Tori Selling on that show when she was a youngster came by. We had the 90210 people. Ian was a regular on it. Ian was one of the biker mice. But that was an incredible talk about exceeding the range that I had had from before. I don't know how to tell you the truth. It was karma or some sort of blessing from the sky that I just decided to use this crazy voice that came out of me. And I was auditioning with men. And I won. And the producers were great. The director was great. Everybody was so wonderful on that show. And Rob Paulson was on that show. He's a huge voiceover actor. Wonderful performer. And there was Carbuncle, man. He was just amazing. So after that, I realized I could really stretch my voice into this crazy male-sounding thing. And I would go up for auditions sometimes in the studios and the guys would be sitting around and I would walk and they'd go, oh, there's Silo. She'll probably get it. It was just craziness. My career took off in another direction. I started to do a lot of sounds of demons and zombies and all that kind of stuff that was either androgynous or male. And I believe some of that was utilized in The Tick. Great cast on The Tick. That was a wonderful show. That was Townsend Coleman, I believe, was The Tick. And at that time, that was a groundbreaking show. It was just very sarcastic and hip. You had to get the joke. It was really wild. I enjoyed doing that show a lot. And were you aware of the following that The Tick had before you were on the show? I have to confess, I really wasn't. Until I got on the show, did I realize how amazing it was. Backstage in my life, I was not following the way the kids follow that certain stuff, the comics and the things like that. I was just not as aware, but I became aware when we started to do that show and it took off the way it did. I was very aware. And then in 1997, you got to reprise your role as Miss Junko in Toxic Crusaders. Another really interesting show. I was Toxie's mom, Mrs. Junko. We did a lot of those shows. They were a lot of fun. It was a crazy wild concept of being horrible, germy people from the world being almost destroyed and all of these toxic people. A great idea. I like being Mrs. Junko. I like Toxie. Toxie. Please, Toxie. She was a lot of fun. And now in 2000, your career took a change as you became a voice actor for additional voices on Lilo and Stitch. And also a ride in Orlando. The Lilo and Stitch ride, they used my voice for the narrator or the gatekeeper. In other words, when you come in, I get you into the ride. So Lilo and Stitch was doing that voice, did a lot for me. It was a nice career change. And what was it like providing additional voices in a big Disney movie? Oh, it was absolutely great. The one thing about the voiceover world and the voiceover family is that we don't care if we're the star, the second banana, third banana, ninth banana. We don't care. We just love doing the work. Just call me and we'll be there. It's fun to be a part of a cast. It's fun to be part of a community. I'd much rather be ninth banana than not there at all. So it was very, very exciting and quite honestly, commercially, very good for my career. 
<laughs> and now following this, you eventually made your way over to the show Challenge Showdown as the voice of Wuya. How did that come about? And were you excited to be in that role? Very excited. That again was a wonderful show. Very big, talented show. And the actor who played Newman on Seinfeld was on it. And it was just the character was very well written. Tara Strong played the young boy and um, Gray Delisle played the young girl. The cast was imminently magnificent and the Wuya character was just very, very mysterious and enigmatic and they liked it so much they wrote her in as the woman. Wuya was the ghost-like creature and then they wrote for me for her to change into this beautiful woman who would morph into Wuya and that was very exciting acting work. I loved that. Great show and it was a very big success. We enjoyed doing that. Do you have a favorite scene that you recorded as Wuya from this show? Oh my gosh, there were so many. I can't even remember. She was so wispy and floated and you know what I loved about Wuya was you didn't see her right and somebody would be talking and then suddenly she'd just float in and give her opinion or something I think I loved the idea of her being that way I thought that was very hip and cool because she was sarcastic she was like all knowing like oh yeah really but in her wuya it was just very very fun I love all the scenes they were great and uh, due to the show's success you had the opportunity to work on the video game as Wuya what was that like? Once again and it's basically the same except in video games we don't usually work with the rest of the cast what I love doing is when we do the series the whole cast is hopefully unless somebody has to work on another show or they're called out of town we all work together in the same room and that to me ensemble acting makes it wonderful because you play off of each other and most of the time I think the producers and the directors really love to have their whole group together but when you do games basically you're alone which is fine because we actors know how to handle that but we like to kind of mix it up we kind of like to be all together and hang and do our work so that's basically I think the only difference the game work versus the series work and now following the end of Shaolin Showdown you appeared on El Tigre El Tigre Sartana Queen of the Dead what was it like working on this show right after Shaolin Showdown amazing because this was a totally different character with Hispanic flavor and we had this wonderful couple that wrote the show and did such a great job of casting all these people. I might have been the only one who wasn't of any Hispanic heritage and they were so good to me. She was wild and flamboyant and just a whole different character once again I had ever played and I thought the series was adorable. Very well done. They went on to huge success and well-deserved the couple that did the show. That was a great time. And now you also have been part of the Avatar franchise franchise with Avatar The Last Airbender as yes. the fisherman's wife and you were in Korra. As a matter of fact the fisherman's husband I believe was Buzz Pine who is the actor now who's starring in Star Trek he's the father of that actor and that's pretty exciting he was on an episodic television show years ago the father very very good actor and that was my first role in that series and then I went on to The Legend of Korra. What is it like being part of such a franchise that resonates with so many fans and has such a fan basis. Once again, very exciting. It bolsters your niche in the voiceover industry. 
people respect that you are part of something so big. I'm only a cog in the wheel of it. I'm only a part of it, but what an honor and how great it is commercially and certainly career-wise to keep creating new characters in very, very well-respected projects keeps my agents happy and certainly the people that you work for they're very grateful for your participation because they respect your work and know you're going to give them a good job and generate more work and be financially successful that's that's a part of our business is the economics of it that the bigger and better we are the more money we make so to speak all of us and outside of american cartoons and american animation you've also appeared in two shows of japanese Japanese animation, one of them being Zatch Bell. How is that voice acting different? You will listen to the reference in the other language and you get the feeling that is being conveyed by that and your director will tell you, I'd like it in that kind of vein so that when you do it in English, it sounds like the character's internal dialogue. So it sounds like they're making sense in English as they did in Japanese. So it's a little different technique and it takes a lot of concentration. And then once you get into your character, once you start to know your character, you don't need to have the reference so much anymore. You're there already. You get the feeling of what the Japanese animation is because it's a little different in their drawings too. I believe Jeff Nimoy was the director on those and Quentin Flynn did a lot of those too. He's a friend of mine, another very good voiceover actor. And after a while, you get in the groove and it becomes once again another part of what you do, of your resume. And now outside of Japanese animation and American style, cartoon and voiceover work you've also done work in video games how do you go about auditioning and how do you go about voicing in a video game once again I think I had mentioned before it's different than doing an animated series for television it's a different style of doing it you are basically feeding lines to the player oh well first the audition basically it's the same of course now we're now you've got my career into the 2000s we are recording our auditions at home and sending our mp3s to our agents who in turn then sends those mp3s to the producers and with other submissions from our agency and a bunch of other agencies and they make their decision from our mp3s and then when they make the decision they call the agent and the agent sets up the contract with the producers whatever that is and they make the deal and then we go to a studio of their choice and you will be directed by director and, and perhaps a writer to all alone do all your lines of that particular character and that's quite a lot of lines because you are initially talking to the player and so we have alternate lines like are you going to do this or I think you should do this so it's a different technique once again and you have to stay locked into your character and know what physical things your character is doing which your director will help you with are you being hit are you falling down are you yelling are you whispering all of that and it's very 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 one-on-one concentrated work. There is no other cast member working with you. And finally, before we go, do you have any advice for people who want to get into voice acting or acting in general? I feel you can do it all. I do and I have. I do believe, as I said at the very beginning, 
that you do need to be trained and get as much training as you can. If you're serious about trying, and the field is more open now because of technology. It used to be very cliquey, very closed, hard to get in. It's still hard to make your mark, but if you've got the talent, first you have to find out, do I have the talent? Do I have the chops? And that's when you go to professionals, good teachers, good professionals, and get an evaluation like I do with people that come to me and say, well, I think there's a spark there, but you need work and let's find out where you need the work and at what level you're at and how much work you do need. And each segment that you mentioned, in other words, doing commercial work and doing animation, those are two separate techniques. They sometimes meld, but sometimes no. So you need to decide where do I want to go first. I just encourage that you take as many different kind of professional classes, not where people promise that they're going to make a CD of you and we're going to put you in television. And there's a lot of fraud out there. And I hate to see people being taken advantage of. You want to go to professional people, people who are connected somehow to the industry, someone like a me. And there are guides, one in particular, which I can tell you about, the voiceover guide and voiceoverresourceguide.com. And that's all written out as one word, obviously, voiceoverresourceguide.com gives you really the professional people to study with. Plus, I believe in taking acting lessons too, improvisation classes, wherever you can find that, and even if you want to, singing lessons. But anything that can enhance whatever challenge you may have, and you can use it for all of these elements that you mentioned in the business, animation, commercial, on camera, off, all of that. Training, 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 and talking to people who are connected to the industry that know what they're talking about so that they can guide you. And if it's possible that you do have the talent, well, then you work it. And what I do with my students when they're ready, when they're audition ready, when I feel they can go out there and do a good audition, I will produce their CD and then they send it out to agents because you do need an agent most of the time and see if somebody will be interested in you and then take it from there and they contact you and then also there's being a member of a union but that goes on and on and on but the first things first is if you have an interest then start looking to be taught, to be trained, and bring everything you've got to the table and test it and see if it flies. And it's all in the stars. I wish you luck. And do you have anything you'd like to promote? Facebook, website, Twitter? I encourage people to go to my website if they're interested in me, either for work or for study. Is SusanSilo.com. Really simple. That's the official site. And you can see what I'm doing. You can hear me. And you can contact me. As always, everybody, thank you for listening to this week's episode. And you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio, and anywhere else where you listen to your podcasts. And while you wait for next week's episode, you can check out PopAnimeComics.com for articles relating to anime, comics, and pop culture. As well as you can follow us on Twitter at PopAnimeComics for all updates regarding this podcast. Till next week, everybody, have a wonderful week.